guys. Welcome back to our teaching in the book of Matthew. Now, the last time we were here, we worked through the genealogy or the record of Jesus's birth coming from Abraham all the way down to Joseph. And we dealt with that according to Matthew's account. Jesus's lineage as it comes from Jeconiah or you'll see him called Corniah or you'll see him in the Old Testament called Jehoiakim same person. But nevertheless, we dealt with that genealogy and we dealt with the trouble because of the prophecy of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 22, when the lineage or the descendants of Jeconiah, Corniah, when his descendants were cursed from ever having the throne of David. And so we dealt with that issue as well in respect since Joseph is of the lineage of Jeconiah, how in the world can Jesus be the rightful descendant and rightful heir to the throne when the scripture says, Jeremiah again, that no physical descendant of Jeconiah can ever have the throne of David? We talked about that briefly, but we'll answer that question more fully as we continue on in chapter one. Also, we dealt with the issue of in that lineage of Jesus that Matthew recorded for us, he recorded three sets of 14 generations, 14, 14, and 14. And we dealt with the issue of reason why. And this was simply because that is the numerical value of David's name, King David. And that was one of the emphasis that uh, Matthew was placing concerning Jesus. Jesus, the Messiah, son of David, son of Abraham. And so he chose to choose these um, lineages in 14s, groups of 14, altogether 42, but he separated them clearly into groups of threes. And also what is, what is seemingly implied in that three is God, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. OK, and we talked about a whole lot of other things that I'm not going to get into right now. So if you have not seen that uh, Matthew 1, 1 through 17, that la the very last video that I did, go back and watch it, watch it. I think you'll really enjoy it. But anyway, so now let us continue on with the birth of Jesus, according to the account of Matthew. Now, what we're going to learn here is is that as Matthew recounts the birth of Jesus, he's not trying to give a lot of details in the birth of Jesus. You can see even more details in the book of Luke or Luke's account of Jesus' birth. Now he gives more details and his perspective is different, but we're not gonna talk about that because we're not dealing with the book of Luke. So Matthew in his recounting of the birth of Jesus, you will notice that he will recount the birth of Jesus from the point of view or perspective of Joseph, the stepfather. And Luke, we'll see, he will recount the birth of, birth of Jesus from the perspective of Mary, the mother. But again, guys, remember, we're not getting into this comparative analysis of the different books. And one of the main reasons is it would make too long a discussion 
or I would want to talk about Jesus's life in totality, combining all of the gospels and then in some sort of chronological order, walk through the life of Jesus, walk through the gospels of Jesus. That is not the intent of this study. We are studying primarily the book of Matthew. So dealing with the birth of Jesus from the perspective of Joseph, we begin to answer the question concerning Jehoiakim or Jeconiah. That is, how is it then since Jesus descends, I'm sorry, Joseph descends from Jehoiakim, Jeconiah. Since this is, how is it can Jesus make a rightful claim to the throne of David? This is answered in the birth of Jesus, more so in the conception of Jesus. Okay. Now let's try to finish chapter one, verse number 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy spirit. So let's take this apart. I tell you what, let's just do verse 19 and then we'll come back and take it apart. And Joseph, her husband, Notice the term being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her plan to send her away secretly. So now let's look at it. So now he, the Matthew reflects upon the birth of Jesus. Notice how they translate it now. Jesus Christ. They didn't, they stopped at Jesus, the Messiah. Notice, go back and look at the earlier video, how in verse number one, Jesus, the Messiah. And I also think it was in verse number 17, Messiah. But the word is Christos. Same word, Christos, is Christ, as well as translated Messiah. But you'll see how the translators are doing a little interpretation for you in that sense. But anyway, let's just deal with the verse. So the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, and that's what I, now me personally, I like to always say Jesus, the Messiah, because it, it keeps your mind focused on Jesus's purpose in coming into the world in flesh to fulfill the prophecies made by the prophets of the Old Testament. All of those things said about Jesus, that he comes to fulfill it and sit on the throne of David. OK, but anyway, Jesus, the Christ was as follows. Notice when his mother, when his mother when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Now let's talk about that. By the sense of betrothing, you need to understand how at that time, Jewish marriages were arranged. They were arranged by the parents. That is the, the, the male's parents would come together with the female's parent and make arrangements for their children to be married, even at maybe certain times, okay? But, but nevertheless, once that time began to come about, they were betrothed. They were not completely married. I'm sorry. Let me say it in a better way. In their betrothal, okay, in their betrothal, that is Joseph being betrothed to Mary, they are considered legally married. They are considered legally married. Even it's the kind of thing that we would call, um, um, uh, uh, I'm engaged, so to speak. Okay. What we would call today being engaged, but it was to a much stronger degree 
for the Jewish marriages, for when they are betrothed, they are considered legally married. And therefore, Joseph would refer to Mary as his wife and Mary would refer to Joseph as her husband. And the only way that this could be dissolved would by be would be by virtue of a legal divorce. So even though they are betrothed, meaning they are not having a sexual relationship, they are not living together because at the time of the betrothal, the husband would stay with his parents for a year and the wife would continue to stay with her parents for a year. And this, should I say it now? I might as well, I might as well. And by staying with the parents for an additional year of the betrothal, don't, don't act, come together then, it gives the husband time to see, to, 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 to determine that his betrothed wife is pure. That is, she has not been involved in any other sexual relationships with another man. Because in that year's time, it is more than enough time for you to see the idea is her to become pregnant and things of that nature. And this is what we're going to see in the context. But anyway, I don't want to get into it right now. But the idea of a betrothal, what I want you guys to see here is it is a legally binding agreement that can only be dissolved with divorce. OK, but the man and the woman are still living with their parents and they are not having a sexual relationship. And this is to determine the purity. OK, so that's the idea of that. So notice it says uh, it, he gives a commentary on that betrothal part before they came together. That is before they became, they consummated the marriage. All right. The marriage was already official, even in betrothal, but the consummation of the marriage, the end, the, the completion of all of these things was when the man, uh, when, when the man, let's just simply say Joseph in a grand procession, would come to the bride's house, would come to Mary's parents' house, and he would retrieve his bride and take her back to his own house, okay? And once she came back to his own house, then they consummated the marriage and everything was therefore completed. So what Matthew is saying, before any of these things happened, before they came together, the six before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. That is, Joseph discovered at some point in time that Mary was pregnant, but Joseph didn't know by whom she was pregnant. Matthew is inserting early for us that her pregnant, she was impregnant, impregnated by God, by the Holy Spirit of God. Okay. And so, Joseph, her husband, now we find some things out. Matthew tells us some things about Joseph, but notice what it says. Now notice, as we would call it today, they were simply engaged. But remember, the Jewish betrothal was much greater than that. And notice how Joseph is being referred to. Joseph, her husband, but they weren't even living together, okay? They had no sexual relation. Mary was living her parents, Joseph living her parents. But notice still, he is referred to as her husband. That's the weight of the Jewish betrothal. And now here's the thing that we find out about Joseph. 
being a righteous man. So that's one of the first things that we find about Joseph is Joseph was a member of the elect. When I say member of the elect, it is simply a way of saying, as we would say it today, he was saved. Okay. Joseph was saved. He was a righteous man and notice something else. He did not want to want to disgrace her. He planned to send her away secretly. In other words, Okay, according to Deuteronomy, I think it's Deuteronomy 22. If a man betrothed to a woman, she'd find out that that woman was uh, pregnated by another man during the period of betrothal. He could put her away, write her divorcement. He would write her divorcement and and that woman and whoever that man is that slept with her who knew she was betrothed, that woman. And the man who had slept with her, who knew she was betrothed, that man who impregnated her, both of them are to be put to death. And the woman in particular should be stoned to death. Okay? So notice, Joseph just simply wanted to get a divorce and he didn't want to give, put Mary to a disgrace. I'll talk about the disgrace. But a part of that would be stoning to death. Now, let me make this aside. Even though... At this time, we know that Rome has jurisdiction over Judea. Rome is in control of the Jewish nation. And at this time, Rome had did not permit the death penalty by the Jewish people. OK, Rome did not permit the death penalty by the Jewish people. If someone was put to death, they had to be put to death through the Roman jurisdiction, through the Roman judicial system. So. It will it would be unlawful to put Mary to death by virtue by Rome. Now, even though this is the case, this did not stop Jewish Jewish people in their so-called righteous anger at times from putting people to death. All you got to do is go to Acts chapter seven and see what happened to Stephen when when Stephen was speaking concerning the things of Christ and the stubbornness of the Jewish people in the end. What did they do? They stoned Stephen to death. So even so, there was still a chance for Mary to be put to death. OK, and Joseph did not want this thing to happen. But notice that it also said he did not want to disgrace Mary. He didn't want to disgrace her. So what's going on in all of that? It shows that Joseph loved Mary. He truly loved her. And so instead of just being angry because you did this and therefore I'm going to exercise all of my rights, I'm going to get a public divorce. I'm going to go, go to the gates of the I'm going to go to the judges and I'm going to, as I make my appeal to the judges concerning what you've done, you will be brought before the judges. You will be humiliated and you may end up being stoned to death. And these, this is my right. Joseph did not exercise those rights and by his willingness not to put Mary to any disgrace, that is to a public shaming of her. It's an indication that he loved her. OK, so but in what's involved in this public shame and certain things, first of all, by her getting pregnant in this manner, <clears throat> She would be ostracized from Jewish society. And that was it, it was almost like a living death. So let me not get into all of the details in that. But it was like a living death to be ostracized from the Jewish society. She would not be able to be buried in a Jewish 
cemetery and many other things. And you will see her being talked about by the Jewish women, especially when they come to the well. And she wouldn't come to the well to draw water with the rest of the women because she would fear how awful they would talk about her. But anyway, her name would be put to a shame and many things in Jewish society that would be normal and cust and customary for Jewish people, Jewish women that would no longer be av available to Mary. And they would, can I say it our way? And they would talk about her like a dog. And so Joseph loving Mary decided, okay, she's pregnant. I can't marry her but I do care for her and I don't want to see all those things happen to her. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to divorce her secretly. And that's what it means by sending her away secretly. I'm going to secretly divorce her without the public shame. All right. 20. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, Son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All right. Now let's talk about that. So as Joseph is planning to divorce Mary secretly, remember, without shame and disgrace, you don't want to do that. All of a sudden he's asleep and, and an angel of the Lord appears. Now, this is not in, to be taken, the angel of the Lord. OK, do not take this in the same sense as you would in the Old Testament when you will see like the Malach Yahweh, the angel of the Lord, the angel of Yahweh in the Old Testament, because oftentimes in the Old Testament, angel of the Lord is Jesus himself pre-incarnate. Pre, that is Jesus before he took flesh as Jesus of Nazareth. Okay. This is God manifesting himself. The second person of the Trinity, the son of God manifesting himself in flesh. That's the normal case that you would see in the old Testament. But in this case, that's not that because Jesus is now in the womb of Mary. Okay. This is simply a messenger angel from the Lord. So now what does he say? He tries to calm Joseph down and tell him, don't be afraid to take Mary to be your wife, to complete the marriage, everything involved in this marriage uh, officiation. Okay. Don't be afraid to do these things because she is not pregnant because of a scandalous relationship. She is pregnant because of God's divine intervention by virtue of what? the Holy Spirit of God. So therefore her pregnancy comes by a supernatural means. No sex was involved whatsoever. And all of this thing is done of God, according to the plan of God, such plan we'll talk about even more. So as we go down. And so the angel continues to say, Notice, notice the child is all of God and Mary. So now let me stop there because in my talking about the virgin birth, as we got here, this explains now how we deal with the issue of Jehoiakim or Jeconiah or 
Corniah, remember the same guy. Oh earth, oh earth, cursed is the son, the seed of Jehoiakim. He will never have a seed that sits on the throne, even though it was Jeconiah who was the rightful king. So how is this dilemma satisfied? No son that came from the physical descendancy of Jeconiah could ever be king. And Joseph was a physical descendant of Jeconiah. How did God solve this problem? By having no male involved. Joseph was not the physical father, genetic father of Jesus. God was. And so he satisfies the curse of Jeconiah. That is, one can sit on the throne who comes from Jeconiah as long as he's not of the seed of Jeconiah. And Jesus is not of the seed of Jeconiah. But his stepfather, Joseph, is of the seed of Jeconiah. And therefore, Joseph inherits the rights and privileges of his father. That is, he has a right to the throne in the sense because he descends from Jeconiah. But since Joseph comes from the physical seed of Jeconiah, he can sit on the throne, but he has those kingly rights in that same sense. You see what I'm saying? But because Jesus was not from the lineage of Joseph, he can sit on the throne because he is not a seed of Jeconiah, but he can also inherit certain rights to the throne that was from Jeconiah. All right. So now let's get into this. So he tells, the angel tells Joseph that she's going to bear a son and tells Joseph to call the child's name Jesus. And this comes from a Hebrew root, which means Yeshua, which means to save and Yeshua, which is Jesus's name, Yeshua, Yeshua, which means God saves or salvation is the Lord's. So you can see that divine name of Jesus at this time. Okay. The Lord saves. So his name should be called Jesus. And then he says he will save his people from their sins. Now I can, I would like, but I'm not to deal with this particular verse. All right. I don't want to open the can of worms. So let's just simply say by giving him this name, it simply says that he will be an agent of salvation. And who will he save his people? The only thing that I was about to say in this is the angel is saying Jesus will save his people. The idea is this salvation that Jesus gives. And I don't want to open up a can of worms, guys is unto a particular people. Maybe I'll make a video about that in the same sense. And I've talked about it a number of times in a number of my videos already is that salvation is of the Lord from the beginning unto the end. It is not he who wills or he who runs. And you'll see that same idea being spoken of in John chapter one, and also the thought that Paul is giving in Romans chapter nine, that is, it is not up to the flesh. It is not up so much up to the individual that you are saved. 
In other words, you say to yourself, you know, I got tired of living, living like a dog. I got tired of living in sin. And I made up my mind that Sunday morning. I made up my mind that Tuesday night. No, indeed. It is because of the spirit of God that moves upon you. Salvation is the Lord. So therefore, whomever is saved, this, this comes because God has already determined. He has already made that determination that this individual should be saved. That's John chapter six. When Jesus says, all that the father gives unto me, will come to me. So what people come to him? The people that God has already chosen, all that the Father gives. So God has already selected a particular people as gifts to his son. And notice, and Jesus said, and they will come to me. That means they will come to me in believing faith. They will believe that I am the Messiah. They will put their trust in me. And those who come to me, I will not cast them out. They will be saved. And Jesus said, they will be saved to the very end. Why? It is my father's will that I should raise them up. What them? Them that the father had already chosen to give to me, raise them up in the last day. So notice even in this verse, he will save his people. So the idea is not being stressed. He goes that salvation is like universal. That salvation is like given to everyone. No, there is a particular people. There is a unique people. And even notice in the book of John, how Jesus continually says to those people who argue with him, namely the scribes and Pharisees, he would say, you are not my sheep. Why? My sheep, if you were really my people, you would hear my voice. And this is the reason why you don't believe. You don't believe because you're not my people. You're not my sheep. Okay, I don't want to get into all of that theology, but I did want to do did want to point out the beauty of that part of that verse. He will save his people from their sins. Okay? Now, let's continue on verse number 22. Now, all this took place to fulfill that uh, fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which which translated means God with us. All right. Let me talk about this verse by itself. And so now it simply says verse 22 and 23. Um, this all came about Mary's pregnancy as the angel is letting Joseph understand it. And as, as Matthew is providing commentary. Okay. This all comes about the pregnancy of Mary, uh, uh, the virgin birth to fulfill Isaiah seven and 14. And basically that's what's being quoted in verse number 23. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. Okay, so let me deal with that, too, because there has been some sort of a controversy and you'll see it a lot amongst um, Jews, Jews who don't believe in Jesus. And you'll see it among certain uh, Muslims about the word virgin. And they said because in Isaiah 7 and 14, the word is Alma, Alma and Alma can means young lady 
and it could also mean virgin. And so they were saying, this don't mean a virgin. This just means a young woman. So she is not a virgin. So this supernatural stuff does not work properly. This is not what the Bible is saying here. First of all, the word here, right here in the New Testament is for virgin Parthenos. And there is no other meaning of virgin Parthenos than virgin. Also, remember when I was telling you guys about the Septuagint, the Septuagint, which was a translation of the Old Testament Hebrew into Greek about 200 to 300 years before Jesus was ever born, about 200 to 300 years before Jesus was born, they translated Isaiah 7:14. And guess what? Guess what Greek word they used when they translated Alma and they translated it to Greek. They used the word Parthenos, which means nothing, nothing else but virgin, which means that the Jews even of that day understood when Isaiah talked about this maiden, he was talking about a virgin birth, a supernatural birth. And this all goes to prove what the writers of the New Testament were trying to say when they talked about the birth of Jesus and that namely Mary, that she was a virgin. It was a supernatural virgin birth. Okay. And then it says, you shall call his name Emmanuel. And that's when Matthew added his commentary. Emmanuel literally means God with us. Now, one of the reasons why I want to highlight this particular point is you will hear that basically and only for the most part in the book of John is Jesus referred to as God. Incorrect. Because notice, even as, uh, as Matthew talks about this unborn child, Jesus, he emphasizes what? He emphasizes Emmanuel literally means God with us. So this is not simply a human baby with us. This is God taking flesh and dwelling with men. That's John. Okay. Now let's look at Joseph's response, and then we'll end this section on how, jo how Matthew covers the birth of Jesus. 24, and Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. So we can see now the righteousness of Joseph and the obedience of Joseph. Notice what it says. When Joseph awoke from his sleep, he did just what the angel of the Lord said. Uh, righteousness, obedience. Remember it said Joseph was a righteous man. This is, he's, he's proven this thing. Now, and he took Mary as his wife. Let me tell y'all what Joseph did. Remember now, in the betrothal period, because this is the betrothal period, you would have to wait for a complete year a year and then go to the father's house, the father of the bride's house and take her from uh, and take her to be your wife. Joseph did not even wait the whole year. He immediately because he assessed it would be good for Mary so that people wouldn't see Mary big in pregnancy. You know what I'm talking about? Women get bigger and bigger as the baby gets older and ready to be born. And, and the scandal that could come to Mary Joseph protected Mary and immediately 
He took her as his wife. He didn't even wait the full year, which meant he believed what the angel said. What was the angel saying? She was not pregnated by a man. She was pregnated by the Holy Spirit. And so therefore, Joseph took her immediately as his wife. He believed the word of God. He didn't want to see Mary put through any hardships. And he wanted to start taking care of Mary immediately. And so he went and got, he woke up from the dream and started on his way to her house. And he told Mary's father, give me my wife right now. <laughs> but once he brought her into his own house, notice verse number 25 says, while Mary was pregnant, he did not have any type of sexual relationships with Mary. He lit, he kept Mary pure until the day of Jesus birth. So notice that's why the text, you can look at the text. He kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. So therefore, what can we see? that after Mary gave birth to Jesus, Joseph then consummated the marriage. That is, he began to have sex with Mary. And in that sexual relationship that he had with Mary, he produced more children. And we'll see that talked about by Jesus' own brothers. We'll see that even in the gospels, how his own brothers would make appeal to him. Unlike what the Catholics say, that Mary became a perpetual virgin. No, Mary was not a virgin until from the time of her birth, uh, her birth until the time that she died. And then they would say Mary even had certain ascension things. But Mary was not a perpetual virgin. Mary did not have sex with Joseph until after she birthed Jesus. And then normal marital relationships then continued on. Okay. And so thus he obeyed the angel. You see his obedience, his righteousness again. He called his name Jesus, the name that the angel told him to call him. All right. Thanks, guys, for joining me with that. The birth of Jesus and basically what Matthew is emphasizing is how can Jesus have the right of kingships from Jehoiakim? And that is because he was not a physical descendant of Jehoiakim. Okay and all of the rest of the things that I talked about. So thanks for joining me with all of that. Join me next time as we get into chapter two with the visitation of the Magoi. And we're gonna deal with a lot of, uh, of false Christmas narratives. We three kings and all of that thing. But anyway, <laughs> join me next time as we get into chapter two. Thanks for joining me guys. See you then. Producing these videos take a lot of time and they take resources too guys all the, the computers the cameras the blah 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 they take resources so if God touches your mind and your heart bless this ministry if it helps you if these teachings help you bless the ministry send a donation or even become a monthly partner with me so that I can continue to do these things I don't do it I don't do it to make money God forbid but I do it that the ministry may be supported and that I might continuously with joy because it does give my heart joy to continuously bring these lessons to you for your benefit, for your spiritual enrichment. Okay, so help me out.